We're continuing on with Isaiah uh, this morning. Uh, we're looking at Isaiah the walk. If we could get that uh, just on the back screen for us there, uh, just uh, PowerPoint, and then we are looking at Isaiah the walk. And as we move through Isaiah, we see that there's a theme that sort of develops in the book, is that we see that there are chapters that are dealing with the, the judgment of God, and then there are chapters that follow that deal with the hope of God. And we know that the book is split into two parts. Uh, chapters 1 to 39 is the chapters of judgment. Chapters 40 to 66 is the chapters of hope. And Isaiah being the prophet, the messenger of God, he wants to share that hope of God with the people, even though they have made the wrong choices, even though they have broken the covenant with God. It says God's desire is always uh, hope and redemption and not judgment and destruction. So Isaiah as being the messenger of God always comes at different points after chapters of judgment to simply share with them the hope that is coming. And last Sunday I shared with you that Isaiah spoke of three times. He spoke of the here and now, uh, which was what was going on in the present with Reality. He then spoke of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, which was going to be 700 years after, but then spoke of a further time, which is really our time and the expectation of the second coming of Jesus. And so we're looking the, this morning just at chapter 35. We're only going to speak on three verses uh, today, uh, but just to give you the context that chapter 35 is written in, very poetic language to open up. Uh, it's simply prophesying and foretelling telling of what's going to happen in the future. Uh, the desert will rejoice, blossom like a rose. People shall see God's glory in verse 2. The Lord will come with vengeance and save in verse 4. Uh, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap like a deer. And obviously it's a, a prophetic word towards Christ coming as the Messiah and the things that he would do when he was here. Um, waters will break out in the wilderness and, and just those different thoughts. And the final verses of the chapter are our focus this morning as Isaiah speaks about the highway of holiness. It says these verses in, in beginning of verse 8 says, a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road though a fool shall not go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So really the focus of these verses is, is, is why he talks about the highway of holiness. And I'm going to talk this morning just a little bit about holiness. And often we don't like talking about uh, being holy. It's something we use sometimes to accuse somebody, you are holy, Joe, or you're more holy than everybody else. Or so somebody would be more spiritual uh, than somebody or would be more religious than somebody we would call them holy and that. But this is not what it's been spoken about uh, here. Uh, Spurgeon said this, he said, engineering has done much to tunnel mountains and bridge abysses, 
For the greatest triumph of engineering is that which made a way from sin to holiness, from death to life, from condemnation to perfection. Who could make a road over the mountains of our iniquities but Almighty God? None but the Lord of love would have wished it. None but the God of wisdom could have devised it. None but the God of power could have carried it out. And, and that's his take on these verses. When we were doing the study on Ephesians, uh, I'd mentioned a couple of times just that ver those verses in Ephesians 1, verse 30 to 14, about the most tremendous journey we go on as people when it tells us when we were far away, once far away from Christ, we have been brought near by his blood. That's the picture, the image here, that only God could do this, that God is uh, building this highway of holiness. And so we're talking a little bit about holiness this morning. We know holiness is an attribute of God. Isaiah refers to the Lord 26 times in his book as the Holy One of Israel. And throughout Scripture, God's people are given the command to, in Leviticus 11, verse 45, be holy because I am holy. And 1 Peter 1, verse 16, again, it repeats that in the New Testament, says, be holy because I am holy. So the meaning of holiness is, is that to be set apart, uh, that that is sacred. Uh, you could also add, uh, when it comes to God, uh, he is transcendent, which means he's above all things, beyond all things, almost uh, beyond. We're giving a limited understanding of, of who God is uh, because he is beyond all things and above all things but his holiness is that which is set apart and that which is sacred when it's applied to us it simply means as one set apart the two verses in hebrews tell us this to approach god we are made holy as hebrews 10 verse 10 says by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all Hebrews 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those verses in the New Testament simply tell us this. There was nothing that I can do to make myself holy. It says no effort on my part, uh, nothing that I in endeavor to do in a sense can make me holy before God. I'm made holy before God simply by what it says here, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all. Not another sacrifice to come, just once and for all. It says we have been made perfect by those who are being made holy. So holiness is something that is incredibly important to God, and therefore it's important uh, to us. But it's nothing that we can, in a sense, work or earn or push for, in a sense, as though I could make myself more, more holy. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, now, though I can't make myself holy, he says, there are decisions and choices that I can make, as we shall see in the verses that Isaiah writes here, that can affect me being used by God as a clean vessel. We've got to remember, in the context that we are reading these verses, the God's people, the Israelites and Judah, they have simply broken their promise with God. God had made a covenant with them. Now, God simply declares his covenant very simple. And I mentioned it in the first couple of weeks when he turned to the people and he simply said this. He says, you are my people. I am your God. It really was that simple. Now, what he had said to them and challenged them with was this. is simply, if you obey my commands and you do what I told you to do, I will bless you. 
Now, we have to look at it and say, but maybe that's controlling. But God's not controlling. He knows the disaster. He knows the mistakes. And he knows the perils that people get themselves into. God is helping them out. He's saying, simple as this. He says, you're my people. I'm your God. If you follow my commands, I will bless you. They have chosen not to do that. They have then now ended up in this, these problems, these difficulties of the enslavement, of all the other issues that have come along with that. And, and it's important for us to understand this when we look at this, from this, this, this idea of holiness. And really, this is what stands out in my next point, is this. God never reduces his standards to match the weakness of his people. Just because his people simply can't attain to it or, or, or reach for it, God is not reducing his standards to meet their weakness. He's simply saying, this is the way God wants his people to live. And, and actually, it, it's like when we go back to the beginning, when God had offered them the open hand and said, listen, if you take what's from my open hand, which is my presence and my blessing, why wouldn't you choose to take that instead of the punishment, instead of the whip he used, he was using the example of, why wouldn't you do that, God? He's not reducing his standards to match the weakness of his people. Because God had given the Israelites a number of ceremonial laws in the Old Testament simply to determine whether a person was clean, which was ceremonially fit for worship, or unclean, whether they were unfit for worship. So this had to do a little bit with uh, more uh, with spiritual rather than physical cleanliness. So he commanded them was stop doing evil, cease doing evil. He commanded them to cease to worship idols. God is a jealous God in the sense when he's not competing with anything else being number one. And that's really what he was saying to them in, in these passages. He says, I'm not sharing number one spot with, with, uh, you know, with anything, with anybody, so don't worship the false idols. To not defile the tabernacle or the temple, you know. And so the Israelites could be rendered unclean simply by uh, eating animals uh, prescribed by the law, giving birth, contracting leprosy, coming into contact with certain bodily discharges or dead bodies or loads of other laws that were there but were simply there for their own good as well. But as with God always, he always provides a remedy, a solution. He always provides, in a sense, a way out. It's not his, it's not his desire for judgment and destruction, though that often has to come if people then make the wrong choices, as they do in this story. His plan is for redemption and hope and second chances. So he provides a remedy for various unclean states that unclean people can simply become clean. That's a strange thought because unclean people to become clean, we see that the law does it there, but it could never quite fulfill it. But what is fulfilled, who does fulfill it, is Jesus Christ. You see, we sit this morning and we are unclean people that have been made clean. It says in the verses, didn't it, we have been made holy, not because we have applied our effort or our energy to that, but simply because of what Christ Jesus has done for you and for me. God had his desire for his people here because they were set apart to simply be his people. In Leviticus 20, verse 26, he says this, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. There is declaration again, you are my people. 
I am your God. That's a declaration he's declaring. And so in these verses that we read, he then speaks about this highway of holiness. And, and it's a road, it's, it's a path. And it, it, it's an exclusive one, which we're going to look at in a minute. It is speaking of a future time when those who set apart by justification will walk with joy and gladness. And in a sense, we are walking it now in holiness sanctification and spiritual safety you see we take good roads for granted don't we but in the ancient world a good road was an amazing blessing for travel progress and business you see this picture that Isaiah has here he's picturing a road through the mountains of Judah and Ephraim as well as in the desert and south of Judah a straight and high level highway would have been a wonderful thing but he has a picture of that not just in the physical but in the spiritual, it has a picture of not what just will happen when the Messiah comes, but also after the Messiah comes, the journey that me and you will walk every day. You see, during the Assyrian invasion, the highways were not safe. They'd ravaged the lands, destroyed the crops, made the highways unsafe for travel. But this highway was different. This highway of holiness, and it's important that word in the middle there, it was not a highway to holiness, because had it been a highway to holiness, it would have required our effort. It would have required a cost on our part. It would have required something for me and you to do. It's a highway to holiness, because Christ Jesus has paid the whole price for you and me to be there on that highway. And so we see this highway, and we see that it's unmistakable because it's exclusive. Well, who's allowed to walk on it? You see, throughout Scripture, life is described as a walk. And we talk about the, the walk of life, that what people have to do is they walk through life. And Abraham was commanded to walk before God and be blameless. Moses was commanded to walk in all God's ways. Hezekiah, in the book of Isaiah, asked God for a longer life because he had walked before him faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. When we move to the New Testament, we're commanded uh, to walk while you have the light, to walk as Jesus did, to walk in love, to walk by the Spirit. So it's clear from the beginning to the end of Scripture that that command of walking is essentially important for, for our Christian walk, in a sense, for our spiritual walk. And this is why we have to speak of this highway of holiness that is being spoken of here. You see, we have not been delivered from our sin to simply sit uh, for the rest of our lives and contemplate a saved condition. We, we don't just receive a ticket that simply says, you know what, I made it now. I have a ticket for the bus to heaven. Actually, no, he said, the purpose of us getting, in a sense, when we get saved, is we're giving that mission as well, not just to sit and contemplate, but also to go and tell people about this wonderful Jesus, this Messiah that is spoken about. We have that challenge as well. You see, we participate and walk on this highway of holiness. We travel the highway to arrive at this glorious, destination. It's a destination all of us are, are, are on, the journey to that destination. You see, the readers would have understood this journey 
because three times a year they had to make an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, for national worship. They had to go down and, and present the sacrifices and do all of that. So three times a year from wherever they lived, they traveled down into Jerusalem. So when they read this, they would have understood it because it was a shadow uh, that was going to be fulfilled when Jesus came because each of us are on a journey to a glorious destination because though we are here now and everything that we have to deal with now and I know people are going through many difficulties at, at times and that, but all of these are only temporary because this world we are only traveling through our ultimate destination is at home in heaven which is the glorious destination that they speak about here last week we had to do two funerals for two faithful members of the church as you stand here and you do the funeral you see the coffin and you realize that's the end of the physical but it's not the end there is a glorious destination that they have now arrived at because they have traveled this highway of holiness and their glorious destination is our home in heaven. So what we suffer with here, in a sense, is temporary because ultimately we will come to a place where we will arrive at our destination. And you see, the pilgrimage that they talk about in Isaiah 35 is far more significant because it ends up in heaven. See, one of the things about this highway is that it's exclusive. Probably the best way to describe it is a toll road. Uh, recent weeks, I've to drive to Dublin. You drive down the motorway to Dublin and you come past the Boyne Bridge and there's a toll bridge. There's a, there's a toll place there that you pay two euros to take your car through. And even I'm not that tight to find another way round to avoid paying the charge. <laughs> It says you pay the two euros because, you know, it takes you down an easier route. When I put my sat-nav on, it will turn around and say, do you want to avoid the toll road? And as much as I want to, because I know well, every pound's a prisoner, David Day. David Hill said that, and he says, you want to pray, but you know. Why? Because it's an easier road. You pay the price. But when it comes to this, there's a price to be paid on this highway of holiness. But it's a price I don't have to pay. It's a price that the Messiah has already paid because Isaiah is speaking of the Messiah who's coming and he says he's a, the, the, paid for the ransom. Now, who's the ransom? The ransom is me and you. What's a ransom? It's a person who's got a price on the head that somebody must have to pay for. Each of us had a price on our head and Christ Jesus paid that price to allow us to walk that road. That's the price that was paid. Uh, and so we see that there's no access for others. It says, well, the unclean have no access there. The fools have no access. The devouring animals have no access. And well, we look at it and say, who does? And uh, I look at this and think it's only those who self-disqualify themselves. The more I read Isaiah through, the more I read and understand that God just presents his people with a choice. There's picture that people sometimes hold on to with this harsh, judgmental God that sort of wants to keep his people at a distance. Every chapter I read of Isaiah that speaks of judgment is because the people rejected God. They broke his covenant. They broke his promise. It wasn't actually God that did any of that. God simply just had to, as I said last week, stick to his word. He had to do what he said he was going to do. And people get shocked at that. 
But they shouldn't be shocked at that because you have to look at it and say, well, God has never broken his promise. He says to you beforehand what he's going to do. He's told you before what's going to happen. And when those things happen, people say, as the people of Judah, well, it's unfair. It's not fair, God. You know, why are you doing this? And God's almost saying, I told you that would happen. I told you if you made the wrong choices, I presented to you this this, 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 if you did what I said, I would bless you and you would be looked after in abundance. And the people are like, well, we didn't think you meant it. And God says, well, I have to mean it because I'm God. And people get shocked and surprised, but God holds on to his promises and delivers them to us because it's the only way we can live when we know he's 100% reliable in everything that he says and everything that he does. So we come to this highway of holiness and well, who is allowed on it if it's exclusive? Well, we see that, that there's one word and everybody has a favorite Bible word. I have a favorite Bible word. The redeemed. Those who have been bought back at a price. That's my favorite Bible word. Because it tells us in these verses, uh, the redeemed shall not only walk on the highway, but they shall also walk boldly, having nothing to fear. But they're reading this in the Old Testament. And so how would they have an understanding of what the redeemed is? Well, the, the law told them this. The law required families to redeem, to pay the ransom for, for property of family members who have been forced to sell their property. Listen, with all people in our family, we don't like to talk about. We know we don't, we? We're people that never get mentioned and don't, don't talk about uncle, don't talk about auntie such and such, you know. We've all got people like that. And you see, the responsibility under the law was for the family to take care of those who had got into trouble, for those who had messed up. So you couldn't just turn around and simply say, as I would or, or we would, but it's their own fault. They've got to pay their own way out of this. It's not our... No, the law doesn't say that. The law says you had to take responsibility you had to redeem them to buy back them because if you didn't this is what would happen it says to support if you didn't support family members in need uh, they would end up in slavery they would end up being sold into slavery and so we could turn around and say well that's their fault and that they've made the mistakes they've got to learn by the mistakes and pay for the mistakes and do all of that and do all of that and yet, actually, the law simply says this. It says, hey, they're your responsibility. It says, rather than being sold into slavery, you redeem them, you buy back the debt. It says, if you don't buy back the debt, you're going to, they're going to be a slave for the rest of their lives. Though that's what to redeem meant in the Old Testament. To fulfill that in the New Testament, who does it speak of when it says he's the one that brought each of us out of slavery, that each of us were going to be sold into slavery for the debt of sin that was put upon our head until Jesus Christ went to the cross, not just as our Savior, as our Redeemer, because he bought back the price that was put on your and mine head and he redeemed us. We talk today, and no, I'll say this in a minute. Let me finish this bit first. It's a Lord who redeems his people because he does not want to place any barriers in the way of people coming to him. If they are, they are of our making and not his. See, to be our redeemer, he came all the way to us so we could come all the way to him. What a wonderful picture of what Christ did. He could have, God could have done anything. Could have sent the bill for the payment any particular way. 
could have, you know, God could do anything. And he didn't. He sent his son as the redeemer. Not just part of the way or some of the way or a little bit of the way for some of the people. He sent his son as the redeemer all of the way to us. And him coming all the way to us as a redeemer, it allows us to come all the way to him. That's the good news this morning. That's the redemption this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 and 19, it tells us God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He was bringing the world back to him, not in reconciliation, but reconciliation in Christ. It's the in Christ that is the key there. It's always in Christ. He came all the way to us to pay the ransom as the Redeemer to reconcile us to God. The news of the New Testament is Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Romans 3, verse 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And finally, Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All the way through the news and the newspapers at the moment, you will hear about the R rate, and whether the R rate of this uh, virus is going up or whether the R rate of this virus is going down. I want to tell you this morning about another R rate that never changes. It's the rest rescuing and the restoration and the redemption of mankind by Jesus Christ and it says he has done that for each and every one of us and it allows us to walk this highway of holiness that rescuing that restoration that redemption for you and me is it exclusive absolutely it's exclusive it's exclusive for saved people not for better people not for those who have earned their way onto it there's no earning onto this road it's for saved people, those who have trusted in those words that are up there, redeemed by him, rescued by him, and restored by him. That's those that can walk the highway of holiness this morning. And you see, this walk costs us. It has to cost us. Even though the, the payment onto the road for us has been paid for by Christ Jesus, there is a cost to be on this road. And to keep the standards that God has, as we said earlier, where God never reduces his standards, it costs us when we talk about holiness. It costs us in terms of our purity. It costs us in terms of our obedience. It costs us in terms of our courage. It's a walk of holiness that is required of those who want to live faithful lives before God. So every decision presented, every choice that comes our way, a decision that we have to make about how we are walking on the road that we are walking. What a tremendous challenge in these days. But it was a tremendous challenge when Isaiah wrote these words as well to the people. He said, there's a walk you've got to do. These people, there were people still at those times who were still walking faithful to God. And you see, we see the fulfillment now, and we receive the fulfillment now, don't we? Walking on that road, not to holiness, as though it was something to do with us, but the walk of holiness, that we have a standard that we walk to, not the world's standards, but it's God's standard through his word, in purity and obedience and courage. But it's because he has rescued us, because he has redeemed us, and because he has restored us. Let us pray. 
Father God, we, we come today, Lord, and Father, we thank you for your word. Father, there is a road, and we thank you for that road, because we as the redeemed are allowed upon it. Those who are, have been restored and rescued, the Father, as we come this morning, we have something to rejoice about. Though we have the temporary difficulties that we are facing at the moment, Father God, our ultimate destination is our home in heaven with you. And Father, we thank you for that today. We thank you that we not have any, only have hope for this life, but hope for the life to come as well. And Father, we hold on to that this morning. Thank you for sending your Son to redeem us, for paying the price so we can walk upon this highway. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.